Welcome to episode 79 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. Here on episode 79, we are visiting with a highly talented blind hockey player and uh, just a tremendous ambassador for the sport of blind hockey. And uh, he was actually named captain of the U.S. blind hockey team. So let's go ahead and strap on those skates, hit the ice, and get rolling now with episode 79. Okay, so my guest here on this episode of the podcast is Tim Kane, and Tim is a highly accomplished uh, blind hockey player and certainly quite an ambassador for the sport of blind hockey. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Really excited about this. I feel like you are kind of the the main guy when it comes to blind hockey and kind of the big (laughs) name out there, so super excited to finally... There's a couple bigger names out there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I appreciate you taking the time. It's definitely an honor to have you on here. So why don't we just start with, uh, you know, kind of from the beginning here in terms of your your story. Just talk to me about your early years as far as where you were born and grew up. Yeah, so uh, born and raised uh, in Battle Creek, Michigan, so kind of southwest corner of the lower peninsula. Kind of grew up on the youngest of, uh, of three kids. I have two older sisters and pretty much just followed them around um, and did whatever they were doing. So if they were out in the street playing tennis or soccer or, you know, rollerblading, whatever it was, I was doing what they were doing until, you know, kind of get into school and start playing with your own friends and everything along those lines. So grew up, you know, just playing any sport that I could played, you know, recreationally hockey, baseball, golf, soccer, steered away from football, but you know, any other, sport that I could really do absolutely did it and, uh, and continued on with that all throughout my elementary years and junior high and high school and everything else. Both my sisters also have, uh, Stargirls. So all three of us have it. Uh, my oldest sister, uh, I believe started losing her vision in sixth grade. Um, so still kind of, kind of early for Stargirls. My other sister's about 20 months older than me. She lost her, started losing her vision. Um, I want to say her, sophomore junior year of high school uh and then i started losing my vision my freshman year of high school so all three of us pretty young when that kind of took place and for me it didn't it didn't really stop me from any participation in anything i'm an august birthday so uh, i actually had to do like an extra year of kindergarten uh when i started school so uh, i was i think i was like the third oldest in my graduating class so i had already started like driver's training and things like that by beginning of uh of like freshman year and everything. So I kind of already knew how to drive. So even when I lost my, you know, when I went through my vision loss, I still, still kind of had those skills and then just adapted that with the, with bioptic lenses. So I, you know, still got my driver's license. I I still carry that, but also from a sport perspective, it's kind of, it's one of those things where if you have the skills from a younger, a younger age, and then you just have to adapt it to vision loss, at least for me, there wasn't too much of a learning curve. You just kind of had to roll with the punches. And so, you know, I continued to play hockey, baseball, uh, and golf throughout high school. I stopped playing soccer in junior high just cause it got a little crazy with the, with the hockey schedule and starting in August and then kind of going all throughout the fall into the spring, uh, sure. went on to, uh, to college and played a year of club hockey at, uh, at Ferris state. Um, did that for a year until I transferred schools to, uh, to get into, to sports medicine and 
uh, got my degree in athletic training. I've been doing that uh, since I graduated in 2011. Oh, wow. Nice. And where did you attain your degree? Uh, I got my degree, my undergrad from uh, from Central Michigan, and then I got my master's degree at Michigan State. Oh, nice. Very cool. Go Sparty, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little kind of a rough year this year. <laughs> Uh, yep. Yep. So yeah, I know you had mentioned, uh, you know, kind of playing hockey for a while when you had, you know, at least some vision and just talk to me a little more about that transition, you know, from kind of that sighted hockey world. And then as far as blind hockey, when you kind of, you know, were introduced to that sport. Yeah. Um, I started playing hockey, playing ice hockey, uh, when I was six. The only reason I know it was six is because I wanted to play when I was five, but the, uh, the Battle Creek Parks and Rec group that we uh, that we had to go through wouldn't allow you to play until you were six on an organized team. So I had to do like a floor hockey and basketball. It's basically like a core sports kind of group thing. And then after you did that, then you were like eligible for, for ice hockey. So it started when I was six and never took like a learn to skate lesson or anything like that. I think I kind of having the background in rollerblading and, and things when I was younger helped with that. Um, so did that played locally in battle Creek until uh, I was in fifth grade and then moved, uh, to kind of like the next biggest city over, which was Kalamazoo, uh, a little better hockey reputation there when I was younger. So I went and played there for four years, uh, and then came back to battle Creek to play on our kind of, uh, city high school team. None of the high schools in my hometown had, uh, high school hockey teams at the time. And so we just had a, you know, a, we had a couple city teams uh, that you could go and try out for. And so I played uh, for the Battle Creek Bullets uh, was the name of the team from uh, freshman through junior year. Um, so even that first year, I mean, kind of when you're talking about like tryouts uh, as a freshman, I went into that tryout with you know, 20, 20, 20, 40 vision, not really anything that would have even been corrected. Uh, with glasses or anything along those lines. And so going into that, it was, that was a year that I still didn't really notice too much of a, of a vision change on the ice, uh, just because with Stargardt, you lose your central vision. So your peripheral vision is still, you know, for the most part intact and not really anything that, that seems to be affected too much. And so from a sure. hockey perspective, I didn't really notice the change. I certainly noticed the change in a, in a classroom setting and things like that, but was able to get through hockey season and everything. Baseball was rough as a freshman. Uh, I remember getting my, uh, my first pair of, uh, of contacts, uh, I think in like February, uh, January or February of, of freshman year, because I'm also nearsighted. So I am able to get some correction that helps out and gets kind of gets me back to that, I guess, 2200 acuity in one eye and 2300 in the other but i remember trying to like pick up the you know, catcher's fingers because i've been a pitcher since i was in fifth grade or whatever uh and i was like I, I can't do this like we need to figure out something to you know really work with uh you know we got to do something else otherwise i'm just going to throw fastballs all day <laughs> especially if they're going to get hit um sure. and so i think just having those other sports and those other opportunities to, to kind of work my way you know, back and in kind of into the hockey world with those vision changes. Uh, I kind of noticed the differences later on, you know, if somebody sends you a pass from across the ice or it's off the ice a little bit and you're not, you, you don't necessarily get the contrast that you do when it's on the ice. Uh, it's a little tougher to see, but like I said, just kind of rolled with the punches and did whatever I had to do to continue doing the things that I enjoyed. And so I, like I said, I played hockey and, and baseball and golf throughout high school. And uh, after I played club hockey at Ferris State, 
uh, I was kind of, I was pretty okay with kind of hanging up my skates and, and not being too concerned with, you know, playing competitively anymore. I knew that I was, I wanted to work as an athletic trainer in either the hockey or baseball worlds. And so I was just going to stay involved with the sport that way. And, uh, it wasn't until 2018. So I didn't really play competitively or really that, you know, much of organized hockey from 2008 until 2018, 10 years. It's kind of a lot that I think about it now. Uh, but 2018 during the Olympics must've been that my, my mom had sent me a random text that I still don't know where she what what article she was talking about or what commercial or whatever, but she sent me a, a text saying, hey, did you ever follow up on that blind hockey thing I sent you? And I didn't want to disappoint my mom. So I just kind of sent her back a thing. And I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm just waiting on an email back. Meanwhile, I'm Googling USA blind hockey uh, as I'm sending her this message. And um, <laughs> a couple of Google searches popped up. And uh, one of them was to Kevin Shanley, who was the US blind hockey rep at the time. Uh, another one was for Matt Morrow, who uh, is the director of uh, International Blind Ice Hockey Federation. So sent both of them a couple of different emails. And honestly, I was really just looking at it from a like a support standpoint. You know, what can I do to help grow the game? Is there anything that I can assist with? How can I be involved? What can I do? Uh, and got a response, I think, within a, a couple hours from Kevin Shanley. And he was like, hey, it's great to... You know, thank you for reaching out. It's great to hear from you. Really impressed with kind of your background. Uh, the best thing you can do for blind hockey is to play. We have an event in Chicago in March of that year, of 2018. Uh, and if you can come out, we would love to have you. We're having a tryout for the inaugural uh, U.S. blind hockey team. And uh, so I actually think this was like right around Valentine's Day because I remember thinking this was an odd valentine's day gift to get my wife and so i went home and i just kind of gave her the you know quick and dirty version of that story and she kind of stares at me a little bit like i have three heads and just says so you you have an opportunity to go to an event and if you do well you could play on team usa i was like yeah that's a pretty good you know summary of what i just said and she's like okay so let's go and i was still kind of in the back of my mind. I'm like, all right, are you okay with that? Because that's going to be, we're going to be with a six month old, our first real family trip. We're going to go to Chicago, which is not, you know, the tamest of cities. So we're going to take a six month old. We're going to go here, by the way, I'm also going to be playing hockey at this time. So it's not like I'm going to be, you know, around baby, you know, helping out support things like that. she's like, no, we're going like, you have an opportunity to, to play for team USA. We're going to, we're going to go see what this is all about. And so, um, having that support was a, you know, outstanding help. She's still unbelievably supportive of her and both of our children, families and everything else. I uh, really couldn't ask for much more from that standpoint. And so we went to that event, uh, it was the USA hockey disabled hockey festival. So every disabled discipline was there. Uh, it was a, it was a really cool event to be there for the first time and really learn, uh, learn about the sport. I remember my first shift, I actually looked up at the, at the coach who was actually uh, Mike Sack, the, the U.S. blind hockey team coach. And I was just like, hey, I just want to double check. Is there checking? <laughs> he kind of <laughs> gave me a side eye look. It's like, no, there's no checking. It's blind hockey. I said, okay, I just wanted to make sure. Um, right. And so, yeah, just went out, had a lot of fun. Everything went really well with the event. Uh, and then to, to kind of hear my name called out during that the event banquet, I think Saturday night, 
was just so cool. And I'll, I'll never forget uh, that moment when uh, you finally hear your name called out to, to be selected to represent Team USA. It's a, it's a very cool feeling. Wow. That's awesome. And then, so I know you were named uh, to, to be captain of, you know, the U S blind hockey team and just talk to me about how all that kind of unfolded, what that honor meant to you. Yeah. Honor is a, is an outstanding word for that. So we had, we had our selection camp in March or April. I think it was one of the two, or that was the the tryout uh, at the disabled hockey festival. And then we had our training camp in uh, July of that year in, in Utica, New York. So we went there, uh, you know, we get four days uh, together on the ice. We're on the ice multiple times a day, fundraising opportunities, just a really for a chance for, you know, the team to kind of grow and bond because before that we only had the one event, which was the, disabled hockey festival and even then kind of broken up into different teams and not necessarily having that chance to gel uh and throughout the weekend just you know a lot of just different aspects where you really get to learn people's strengths and weaknesses and you know where people can improve and you know how we're going to come together as a group for an international competition just a couple months after that that it was it was it was a really surreal experience i think for a lot of people to be involved in that. And again, very, very successful camp from a, from a team gelling standpoint and kind of like a, just a team chemistry standpoint. After the event, uh, I got a note from our coaching staff asking if uh, I was willing to take on that responsibility. Uh, and my response was that I thought that should be a team uh, decision. I don't think it should be, I don't think that a, a team captain should be appointed by a coaching staff. I think it should be uh, selected by by the team. Uh, and so I, that was my request. I said, I'd be willing to do that if the team agreed. Uh, and so they put out uh, kind of a player poll for the record. I voted for Kevin Brown or Daniel Belding. I did not vote for myself. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, the majority came back that the, uh, the team, at least the team majority selected me. So we kind of, rolled with it. And, uh, both Kevin Brown and Daniel Belding were also named alternate captains to the team. Um, mm-hmm. both of them are outstanding leaders on the, on the team and, uh, in the blind hockey community and just the blind sports community in general. Uh, both of them are, are unbelievable ambassadors and, and do so much for, for not just the blind community, but their communities in general that, uh, I don't think we could ask for, for two better people to, to be a part of that leadership group. Right. I've definitely seen their names, you know, thrown around quite a bit, just kind of in the whole blind sports universe. So definitely. Hey, we'd love to have both of them on the podcast at some point as well. Oh, we, I'll, I'll do what I can to make that. I'll just tell them it's in order. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as far as positions on the ice, just talk to me about positions that you played. And then perhaps we could also get into just kind of a basic overview of blind hockey. I know we have discuss it on the podcast before as far as rules and kind of how it works, but yeah, we'd love to have your take on that as well. Yeah. So I think if you look on USA hockey's website, it kind of lays out how I think the game used to be played. And what I say by that is that you have B3s, B2s and B1s. And I believe that blind hockey is the only sport where every level of blindness is on the playing field at the same time at their levels of vision. So obviously like goal ball, everyone's blindfolded. So even if you're a B3, you have the, you know, you're at the same level as a B1. Whereas in blind hockey, we let B3s use the vision they have, B2s use the you know, levels that they have and B1s the same thing. Uh, so there is no 
you know, kind of leveling of that playing field other than you can only have a certain number of points on the ice at the same time. So B3 counts as three, B2 is two, B1 is one. Uh, and you're limited to those 14 points on the ice at any time. Uh, so growing up, I always played forward. I was always a center or a wing. Uh, that's how I started out for the U.S. blind team as well. Since then, I've kind of transitioned into more of a defensive role. And whether that's playing more of like a third as a third defenseman, as I'm also playing center or just playing as a, as a defenseman, but also kind of being utilized as a, as a quarterback, so to speak in the offensive zone, something that we've been experimenting with. And it's, it's, it's been very good from a, a, you know, a team communication and, uh, and kind of an understanding of where the puck is, where people are and different things like that. So from a, from a, my position standpoint, I mean, my comfort zone is always going to be as a forward, uh, but what's better for the team right now is for me to be in more of that defensive posture uh, and be able to just kind of keep everybody on the same page whenever, whenever I'm on the ice. And so I think you've seen more of a transition to that model within more of like the, the modern blind hockey, so to speak, when it's been you know, played in Canada for 50 years now, I think before when you kind of put B3s as forwards, B2s as defensemen and, and B1s in goal, uh, that allowed for you know, everybody to to use their best vision in the best way they knew how at that time. Uh, and this is kind of conjecture here. I guess I don't I don't necessarily know the way that people were thinking 50 years ago, but uh, it's become a situation now where if B3s and B2s are able to work collectively, both in the offensive and defensive patterns, then you're really able to get you know, a defenseman that's able to see the play in front of them. They're able to let people know if they're in the wrong spot, they can, you know, find the right person to pass the puck to likewise a B2 in the, you know, offensive zone is able to, even if they don't have the best ability to pick up the puck, they might have an outstanding ability to find the puck when it's close by. So if they're in front of the net, you know, the defenseman that's covering that person has to, they can't just brush that person aside because they're a B2. They have to to pay attention to that person's abilities and really be able to take away that person as a scoring threat. Uh, and so it's been a kind of even a cool evolution in the game that we've seen over the last you know, four or five years to see that transition take place and kind of get away from that standard B3s play forward, B2s play defense, and B1s are in goal. Right. A little more flexibility, it sounds like. And definitely just kind of, yeah, variety really helps, helps the game. Um, I'm curious, are there any specific moments, uh, games you've been involved in, anything that really comes to mind that stands out in your mind in terms of blind hockey in general? Uh, a few of them. <laughs> I mean, the first one is, is always going to be, you know, having, uh, having that initial team announced in 2018, same thing in October of that year when we played uh, Team Canada in Pittsburgh, national anthem going for the first time, wearing USA on your chest uh, and kind of hearing your national anthem and understanding what that entire thing means. Uh, I mean, being chosen to represent your country and being, you know, in that top percent of players at that specific sport and, you know, being chosen to to represent, you know, not just yourself and your team, but, you know, country, your family, everything that you kind of work towards just a, you know, incredibly cool thing. I, I would like to say my first goal on team USA, but I don't necessarily remember that one. 
you know, our, our first training camp is always going to stand out. That was, you know, just really cool to kind of bring, I think we had 18 or 19 people at that first camp, just to have that many different people and learning so much about different backgrounds and, you know, everyone's story because everybody has one and, and almost, you know, two people's journey through vision loss and finding adaptive sports and, and things like that. Or it doesn't seem like anyone has the same story as another person. Sure. Um, so those are, those are going to be things. And then, you know, times in the locker room when you're, uh, we won't go into too many of, of those, but, uh, just, you know, time with your team that you're just able to just really be kind of your authentic self. You don't have to, um, you don't have to put on a happy face if you're, if you're not in a good emotional state or whatever, you just kind of let people know this is what's going on, but you know, locker room is just fun. You're able to, to joke around, have a good time. Uh, if there's any squabbles, it doesn't matter. You leave that on the ice. When you come back in the locker room, you're still a family, you're still a group, you do that. Uh, and, and that's, that's always kind of a sacred place, so to speak for hockey players is, is that time in the locker room. Coaches typically stay out. Uh, it's more of a player's place and just, uh, it's always going to be a lot of fun and will always be the thing that people miss the most when they leave the game. Right. Right. Really interesting. Uh, so I know that there are roughly 20 blind hockey clubs, kind of, you know, local teams around the country, around the U S at this point. And just from your standpoint, what, how would you kind of describe the current state of blind hockey and looking ahead in general, you know, for, for the sport? I know it seems like it really has grown quite a bit in just a few years. Definitely. Um, I think a few years ago, we would definitely say that the sport was kind of in its infancy. It was very, very new to the U S I think, Kevin Shanley and then Christine and Victoria Vanturini. I know they both have uh, different last names, but I'm blanking on what they are right now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Victoria McDermott. Um, but anyway, uh, both of them uh, being the, or I guess the three of them, including Kevin being the first three uh, blind hockey players in the U S I want to say that was 2012 or 2013. So, you know, we're about 10 years in now. So I think you could say that we're, I mean, the sport is still very young, but like you said, 20 programs, I mean, that's pretty massive growth, especially over the last five years. Uh, Cause I think there were probably only a handful before 2018. And so being up to 20 now, I mean, the, the game is, is growing, it's gaining traction. And I think the more that we can continue to raise awareness on the sport, get people involved, the, the more and more it will continue to grow. Uh, you're seeing the same thing north of the border too in Canada, not just Canada, but also internationally, you know, the more people find out about the sport, the more they want to do it because it's, it's really cool to be involved in a tri-blind hockey event and seeing people get on the ice for the first time, because it's not a sport where anybody tells you that you, you know, you can't do a certain thing. Uh, it's just, you know, get on the ice and feel free, go as fast as you want. If you go too fast, you fall down. That's okay. You get back up. That's why you're wearing the pads. Uh, it's just, it's, it's so fun to see people get involved and get on the ice for the first time, or maybe get on the ice for the first time since they lost their vision and just, you know, be involved, have fun, go fast, score a goal. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been very rewarding to, to be involved in some of those events. Right. Absolutely. And I'm sure you've seen many individuals, you know, like you said, for the first time, getting out on the ice, you know, maybe they've played before, maybe they don't have much experience with hockey and, 
kind of that, you know, that, that bell goes off, that light goes off and it's like, wow, I found my passion. I found my sport. This is amazing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I understand the goal as far as the Paralympics goes, I think we're looking at 2026 to, to kind of get blind hockey rolling in the Paralympics. And do you think that is realistic? What's kind of your take on the whole Paralympic push? I think that's probably pretty lofty at this point. I think 2030 is probably a more realistic time frame. The reason I say that is because I believe the Paralympic requirement is that eight teams, eight international teams be formed or, you know, basically ready to go for an event like that because there has to be a, a there's a situation where if two teams either become ineligible or, you know, are disqualified or can't make it or, you know, something happens, you still have to be able to hold that tournament in that event with at least six teams. So I think they have to have it. I think we have to have at least eight, you know, the U S and Canada are two. The UK has been growing a program for a while. Finland is growing a program. I think Russia has a youth program that they're continuing to grow. But even with that, we're still at five. So I think Italy um, is looking to build a program. I believe Sweden is as well. So that takes you to six and seven. I don't know if the likelihood of all of those plus one more country getting involved is going to push you over that threshold that you need for 2026. So I think 2030 is probably more realistic, uh, at least from my standpoint. So yeah, that's, I mean, that I think that's probably the the ultimate goal from an international perspective, because that's what you want. You want the sport to be recognized uh, from a global community standpoint. Locally, though, I think the the goal is kind of what we just talked about, which is to get as many people involved in the sport as possible, not just because it's a great sport and it's fun to do and everything like that, but I just think for the, the blind community and kind of being underemployed, underrepresented in you know different fields, I guess, throughout the world, but also just trying to offer as many opportunities to this community as possible so that individuals don't have to go without. Growing up, my parents' thought process was always that their kids would not go without. And this was not just like from a you know a vision loss standpoint, but you know, if we really wanted something, if we were truly passionate about it, they would make that opportunity available to us. Uh, so even though, you know, our family didn't have a ton of money growing up and hockey is not the cheapest sport in the world. Uh, I think it's actually one of the most expensive ones, but you know, for my parents, my sisters and everybody else to be as supportive as they were for, you know, for me to be involved in hockey, which is a, a, you know, an expensive sport to be involved with, but I had a passion for it. You know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed everything about playing hockey growing up that I don't know if they necessarily enjoyed five hour car trips for, for games or, <laughs> you know, weekend tournaments or whatever, but they supported me because that's what I was passionate about. And, you know, if, if I was growing up in the nineties, I, I might not have necessarily had that opportunity to play hockey, uh, in the U S because it wasn't really a sport in the U S had I lost my vision sooner or been born, you know, without vision or anything along those lines. And so I just think offering more and more opportunities so that everybody can be involved and everybody has their opportunity to participate in anything, whether it's with or without accommodations is such an, an important thing and a cool thing to be able to offer. And so I think we're continuing to move towards that standpoint. If we have 20 programs now, if we can get that to 40 or 45 programs, now we, sh- we, you know, 
conceivably are covering the vast majority of our biggest populations. You know, you look at New York, they have two programs. The Anaheim Ducks have a program. So we at least have one, you know, in Southern California, Seattle has a, as a program. Uh, so Pacific Northwest and their biggest population, they have one. Dallas has one middle of the country in St. Louis, obviously Chicago, a lot along the East coast and, uh, in DC and in Pittsburgh and, uh, and just seeing those, those programs pop up just really shows that we're, we're hitting the right markets and we're finding the right populations and getting those people involved. So the more that we can do that, the more that we can grow the game. I think that's, that is really the ultimate goal just from a, from a global perspective. And then obviously the, the pinnacle for the sport is to be involved in the Paralympics. Sure. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up uh, the Anaheim Ducks. I know that they're one of multiple NHL clubs out there, you know, supporting blind hockey programs, which is just so cool to see. Having NHL clubs involved is outstanding for a visibility standpoint and really bringing that attention to, um, to the general public because there's so many people that just don't know that blind hockey even exists. And so it's, it's really exciting when you see an NHL club kind of give that support um, and a little disappointing when you don't see an NHL club uh, kind of give the support. So I, I think it would be awesome if the NHL could come up with uh, with some sort of initiative. I know they have a lot of, um, they give a lot of support to warrior hockey, which they absolutely should sled hockey, which again, they absolutely should. Um, I would love to see the NHL come, come forward with some level of initiative that really wants to, you know, support and promote uh, all the disciplines of disabled hockey um, that, that could allow for, for more and more people to get involved, especially when you look at like the, the blind and visually impaired community and how many of how many people within that community flock towards those bigger cities because of, you know, Metro systems and public transportation and different opportunities that come with living in those areas. You don't see too many pro sports that are kind of out in the sticks. So <laughs> the more that they can kind of support and, and promote the sports in those areas, I think would be, uh, really beneficial for for all the disciplines of disabled hockey absolutely all great points i know uh obviously blind hockey is your your main sport but i am curious what other adaptive sports you've tried and if there are any out there that you've never tried that you're interested in, in giving a whirl so i have not played any other adaptive sports oh wow up until 2018 i'd never even played adaptive hockey i still play sighted hockey uh when i'm not you know with uh, with Team USA or at a blind hockey event. So I'll still go to, you know, kind of regular drop in hockey or, you know, pick up games with friends or whatever. I've always been interested in beat baseball. I'm still not sure of all the rules of beat baseball. I know you're an, an avid uh, beat baseball player. And actually the only one that I really, really regret is not pursuing blind golf when I was younger. Um, hmm. My dad was an outstanding golfer. Uh, he passed away in 2015, but um, when I was in high school, we had always kind of talked about trying to figure out a way for him to caddy for me and not from a perspective of like carry my bags and give me the club or whatever else, but more just as a spotter. Um, right. And at the time I was very resistant to really any sort of accommodations that would be seen by other people. Um, you know, I only wore my bioptic lenses when I drove, uh, I didn't carry them around. I didn't use them in classrooms, even though they probably would have helped. Um, but I was very resisted to having it known about my, my visual impairment, because I kind of thought that people would judge that. 
and not necessarily trust me on the ice, trust me on the field. Uh, people that I played hockey with growing up had no idea that I was visually impaired. Like they find out now because they'll, you know, they'll run into my mom back home or, you know, something else will come up or they'll see a YouTube clip. Uh, and they just, they just didn't know, uh, cause I didn't really bring it up. And the majority of my, my high school teams were not players from my actual high school. So they didn't really know from a classroom setting either. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back, that would have been very, very beneficial to have somebody at least tell me where the, where the flag was, or which direction, <laughs> uh, I should have been hitting it rather than just kind of taking my cues off the people that I was playing against at the time. So yeah, I, I would be interested in trying beat baseball if I could figure out the rules a little bit. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not opposed at all to somebody on the, uh, on the golf course, at least telling me which direction and, and how far away the flag is. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Nice. Um, I am curious, uh, just what would you tell someone listening to this who maybe recently lost their vision or, you know, has been visually impaired for a while, but has never really pursued any kind of sports or recreation or just any kind of, you know, fitness, what would you say the, the benefits are of really pursuing these types of things from a health and fitness standpoint? Um, that's kind of my bread and butter from a career aspect. I would tell everybody, regardless of visual impairment or not to move more, um, you know, get out, be active, play as many sports as you can do as many physical activities as you can, uh, just get out and move, be in the sun, be outside, roll around in the dirt, whatever it is. Um, you know, if you've, if you've recently lost your vision, vision loss is not the worst thing that you could lose in the world. Uh, at least not to me, but I mean, you can still, hear your kids playing. You can still hear your dog barking, which I hope you can't hear mine in the background right now. Um, you know, you can still, you know, give a hug to, to people that you love. You can still walk around, you can still run, you can still jump, figure out a way to people will figure out a way to, to make activities adapted to your situation. And so if you are dealing with vision loss or anything like that, you have those things that you're passionate about don't lose your passion just because you lost your vision. You know, you can, as, as long as you're kind of open and honest and transparent with, with your goals and with the people that are around you and your support system, then you can make things happen. And even if those things don't exist right now, uh, that doesn't mean they won't in the future. Or you can't be on that, you know, on that forefront of making those things happen. Look at blind hockey. Even if it started 50 years ago, what did people do 60 years ago? I don't think people 60 years ago had an organized way of playing blind hockey, but you know, the people that were visually impaired 60 years ago that wanted to figure out a way to organize their own sport and be able to play with blind and visually impaired people or make it adapted to that community. That's what happened. And yeah, it's a long road, but 50 years later, you're you're having the conversation about that sport being in the Paralympics. I think there's a lot of stigma about disabilities. And I think it's, it's become less and less. So at least throughout my life, uh, up to this point that, when you're younger, you kind of think that like disability is such a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing. <laughs> Everybody, I think, <laughs> that has a disability probably knows happen. But that doesn't mean that it's the worst thing that could possibly happen. And I have a friend who, sorry, this is a bit of a digression. Uh, I have a friend who teaches different adaptive sport classes at Michigan State University. Um, he helped us do one of our tribeline hockey sessions that we combined with a. Um, with the sled hockey event that they had up there. And uh, 
I've already told his class and I think I, I told it in another discussion, but he has, he has a tattoo of the, like the handicap parking symbol. Um, and so it's got the, you know, the person in the wheelchair and then it's got a, it's got a circle around it and a, and a diagonal line through it. Uh, and his family is from Poland. I think he may have even been born in Poland and then moved over here. Um, hmm. but kind of, in Europe, people with disabilities are also referred to as invalids. And so he's got the the handicap symbol with the, you know, basically the no uh, symbol that we would think about it. So the circle and the slash through it. Uh, and underneath it, it, it says in hyphen valid. And then the in is actually X'd out. So it's basically just kind of like an attack on the entire thought process that, you know, disability means you, you you're kind of aren't allowed to do this or, you know, you're basically excluded from these events. And so basically his, the message of the tattoo is that even if you have a disability, you're still valid. And I've, I've always really liked that, uh, that kind of message that he, that he had portrayed there. And so just because disability means that you, you, you really do lack an ability. I mean, yes, visual impairment, I do have a lack of ability to see. That doesn't mean that I am completely unable to do other things or even do things in an adaptive manner. So, uh, yeah, for, for anybody that, that loses something, whether it's hearing or vision or motor function, different things like that, we can, from a hockey perspective, we can, you know, adapt this game until you can't walk. And if you can't walk or you have, you know, any other sort of mobility issue, we can get you on a sled. Uh, you know, we'll continue to, to adapt hockey to as many different ways as we can. Uh, and I, I think pretty much every other sport is kind of falling into that same category as well. Right. Right. Very well said. And I absolutely love that tattoo and kind of the message behind that. Very clever. Yeah. He's a, he's a pretty smart guy. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. So to wrap up here, um, if you want to mention any resources that people might be able to find out there in terms of blind hockey, and then as far as contact info, if you have any social media or anything you want to mention on that front, uh, feel free. Yeah. From, uh, I mean, from a blind hockey perspective, you can go to usahockey.com. Uh, that'll, that kind of has all the disciplines of disabled hockey. Uh, I think it's usblindhockeyteam.com uh, is our team website. Uh, or you can just Google us blind hockey team and it'll pull up the, uh, the team website on there so you can kind of get to know the players you can kind of see their background stories we have some uh some merchandise and everything that's available for purchase uh part of those funds go to supporting the team uh throughout the year for our training camps and travel and things along those lines other big supporters cavi uh central association for blind and visually impaired out of utica new york outstanding group uh that's done a lot for our national team dog nation uh is another group out of uh colorado area that does a lot to support us uh, and, and all levels of not just uh, disabled hockey, but just hockey in general. Uh, Challenged Athletes Foundation, what's the foreseeable future uh, in the Northeast. They're an outstanding supporter of both teams and, and individuals. So, you know, those groups and those websites, those are, those are the ways to kind of go out, get to, get to know a little bit more. And also, you can, I think you can just Google blind hockey near me, uh, and it'll probably <laughs> pull up. Uh, some different groups. So whether that, you know, if you're in the Northeast and that pulls up the New York nightshade or, you know, New York Metro blind hockey, DC area has got the, um, you know, Washington uh, blind hockey club. Uh, and, you know, 
anywhere you are. If you're in a metro area and you're you're interested in blind hockey, check it out. I believe the International Blind Ice Hockey Federation is working on developing like a global calendar so we can kind of see all the different events that are going on both in the U.S. and Canada, and then anything that's going on overseas as well, just so that people are aware of when those events are hopefully figuring out a way to have like a participant tracker. So you can kind of see how many people are going to be there and different things like that. Um, but I believe USA hockey, I think USAVA has uh, uh U.S. association for blind athletes. Um, I believe they have an event calendar on their website as well. So any blind event that they are made aware of, they throw on their calendar so people can check that out too. Awesome. Very cool. So much out there and, and just so many, great resources and obviously kind of demonstrates how all this is, is really growing and becoming uh, you know, a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. And podcasts like yours. So eyes free sport podcast, check that out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> lots, of, lots of good information. Cool. I appreciate the plug. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Again, we've been joined by Tim Kane here on eyes free sports. And uh, Tim, really appreciate the time, all your insight, everything that you're doing for blind hockey and adaptive sports in general. And thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Thanks again for having me. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com.